Amen. Well, if you are anything like me uh, and my family, there's, there's a certain sense during the Christmas season, uh, a certain desire, a certain set of expectations that we, we need to have the perfect Christmas. Can anyone relate to that at all? I want this to be the perfect Christmas. I want to, you know, have all the shopping done by December 1st. I want to have all the Christmas gifts wrapped weeks in advance. I want to lose that like 10 pounds ahead of time. I know I'm going to eat more during Christmas, so I want to, you know, you know, work out a little extra ahead of time. We want there to be the perfect Christmas morning. There's a, there's a certain image out there. I, I just Googled perfect Christmas family. Uh, this was uh, what came up. Boy, that is a perfect Christmas family. Look at them. They're, they're, did your Christmas morning look like this? I bet it did. I bet your Christmas morning looked like this. Everyone's so happy. They're so clean. The house is so clean. Notice that. They're all exchanging gifts. Kind of, they're, not, they're not looking to grab gifts or claim things as their own. They just want to give. They just want to give gifts away. They're like in PJ sort of, but still also sort of color coordinated. Uh, everyone's wide awake and smiling. It's a beautiful Christmas morning, right? I'm going to go on a limb and say your Christmas morning probably didn't look like this. It probably looked something a little bit more like this. I, nor- I Googled normal Christmas family. <laughs> There's a few things you notice here that I just love about this photo. It's just a random photo off, uh, off the internet. And this is, uh, notice the colors are not quite as vivid. You're not really seeing as much smiles or engagement with everyone. There's, uh, there's, there's a numerous coffee cups scattered around the room. People are kind of doing their own thing. My personal favorite is uh, this, this gentleman right here. Any parents relate to this at all on Christmas? So it's five in the morning. Do we have to do this right now? And you guys kind of want to curl up and take a nap surrounded by all the wrapping paper. This resonates with us personally a little bit more. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause it. I'm going to just say that I think this has a little bit more in common with the original Christmas story. You see, when we think about the Christmas story of the Bible, this is often the image that we, uh, that we see or we think of. Uh, did anyone see nativity scenes? Yeah, they're beautiful. I love nativity sets. I'm not knocking nativity sets. There's a certain um, image that nativity sets present, and that's one that things are perfect. They're neat. They're calm. Look at baby Jesus. He's positively glowing. Mary's already lost the baby weight. She's, she's not in his discomfort at all. Everyone's just looking on with adoration. And so we have this image burned into our mind. This is what Christmas is supposed to look like, right? Except it's not. Except this isn't actually what the real Christmas story looked like. And so in a very odd way, I'm going to discourage you. I'm going to kind of hopefully tell you a little bit about the real Christmas story and some of the things that didn't go right, that weren't right with the world, with the family, and with the life that Jesus was born into. But it's my hope that out of that, we all leave here today actually a little bit more encouraged, a little bit more encouraged to turn towards Jesus, to know that he actually turned towards us in the middle of the brokenness and the mess of the Christmas story. So we're going to look at this passage right here, Luke chapter 2. Oh, I'm sorry. First thing that we're going to say, actually, um, penalty of no, of no notes. Um, Jesus was born into a broken world. I have just a few basic observations that I want to make regarding the Christmas story. Is that Jesus was born into a broken world. We see this right away in the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Um, this is actually a passage that normally when we read the Christmas story, if you happen to maybe this is a tradition for your family, we kind of gloss right past this stuff. We move right past it. Let's get to the manger. Let's get to the shepherd. Let's get to the angel and the star. Let's get to the good stuff, right? Baby Jesus. You know, uh, political stuff, let's leave that aside. This is actually a really rich few verses that tell us about the world, the broken world that Jesus was born into. It says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
and everyone went to their own town to register. And we know this is the start of the Christmas story. So Joseph and Mary, and uh, she's pregnant with baby Jesus, and they are going to Bethlehem to register for the census. Something really interesting here, though. In those days, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus was in charge of what empire? The, the, the Roman Empire, many of us know that. He was in charge of the Roman Empire, and he issued a decree. Well, why do people in Israel care what decrees the Roman emperor is issuing? Roman emperor is in charge. The Roman Empire is in charge. Roman law is in charge. Jesus was born into a world that actually was enslaved. It was a conquered world and a conquered people. And Roman law was the only law. Roman law was the ultimate law. You did what the Roman emperor said, and you did what his governor said. Quirinius, that's not exactly a Jewish name. Uh, it's, a, it's a Latin name. There's a, there's a local Roman ruler. Jesus was born into a really frustrating, difficult political season. Does anyone relate to that at all? Does anyone feel like they are living in a frustrating, difficult political season? Boy, I felt that way this last six months. I feel that now. I feel like there's tension everywhere I look. You better believe that there was tension everywhere they looked in the world that Jesus was born into. Political tension, political frustration. More than that, there's a census that's taking place. Do you think Caesar Augustus really cared that much about knowing exactly how many people were in each little podunk Israelite town? Probably not. Why was he taking a census then? Ah, taxes. It's about the shekels. It's about taxes. They want money. We want to know exactly how many Israelite citizens are here so that we can tax them, so we can get what we're due. So Jesus was not only born into a world with political frustrations, political uncertainty, he was born into a world of financial uncertainty. A new series of taxes are about to get levied, about to get issued to the Jewish people. During this Christmas season, have you had any moments where you're frustrated or anxious about the political atmosphere that we're living in, about the financial atmosphere that you're living in? If so, you have something in common with Jesus. You have something in common with the world that he was born into. Jesus was born into a broken world. We'll talk more about what God loves to do with broken things here in a minute. Second observation from the Christmas story is this. Jesus was born into a broken family. And a lot of, you know, we make a lot to do of this. You know, pregnant, Mary was a pregnant teenager. Joseph was probably very young himself. Um, they were betrothed. Uh, they, there's the story of, oh, I can see from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's like, yeah, I'm not really buying it, but I'm a righteous guy, so I'm going to divorce you quietly. He gets visited by an angel. There's a, that's, a, that's a Jerry Springer kind of situation. We're not really sure who the father is. We're trying to figure this out. It's okay. That's broken enough un, unto itself. Have you ever read the start of the New Testament, though? If you have, page one of the New Testament is the book of Matthew, and it starts with the genealogy of Jesus. Genealogy is just a long list of names. You might maybe have skimmed right past it whenever you see a big long list of names. I know my temptation is to kind of jump ahead. There's actually the first chapter of Matthew reveals to us a lot about the bigger broken family that Jesus was born into. You can see this here. Matthew 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, that's a good start. David, Abraham, that's George Washington, Thomas Jefferson kind of stuff. Ooh, that's you're going on Ancestry.com, and you're pretty proud of what you're finding on there. So we see that Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. Ooh, Jacob. I mean, he's, he's one of the patriarchs. He's, he's kind of a big name in the Bible, but he's kind of a sleazy guy. He was kind of the used car salesman stereotype of that family. He was kind of wheeling and dealing and trying to always get ahead. His name literally meant to grasp by the heel, aka he was always trying to take what didn't belong to him. He always wanted something that belonged to someone else. And his whole life story is him wrestling with this identity of he's a grasper and a taker and a swindler. 
Okay, it's not, not a great start, Jesus. We keep moving forward. Salmon, mm, delicious. The father of Boaz, <laughs> whose, whose mother was Rahab. Interesting. Rahab, uh, maybe you know, uh, was a foreigner. Uh, we see her in the book of Joshua. Um, politely would say that she, was, uh, she had a profession of ill repute. This may be the polite way of saying it. She's also a foreign woman. She consorted with spies. Not exactly a glamorous name to drop into your family tree. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Uh, Ruth was also a foreigner. Um, not exactly a pure family tree for the Messiah to be born from. Interesting. David was the father of Solomon. Ah, Solomon's a great king, wise king. Oh, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. There's a really messy story there involving a love triangle, involving uh, David using it, abusing his powers as king and taking things that didn't belong to him and conspiring to actually kill this person's wife and doing so. I'm sorry, this person's husband, uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And then out of that, Solomon is born, the father of Rehoboam. Probably not a name many of us recognize. Rehoboam, though, was actually the um, successor to the Jewish kingdom. And he was so proud he was so full of himself. He was so convinced that he was right. That he refused to work with the elders of the Jewish people. And so he said, I actually want to enslave my people. I want to uh, burden them with more work, more taxes. And what his pride led to the division of the Israelite kingdom, led to his complete division. So led to hundreds of years of turmoil and pain. Not a great person to have in your family tree. Out of this, we see Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was just an evil dude, an evil king, one of the most evil kings of the Old Testament. He did kind of have a moment of repentance towards the end of his life, so that's something. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon was his son. His son was just as bad, if not worse, no repentance. These are evil, sinister kings. This is the lineage of the Messiah? This is his family? We see something here. We see that Jesus was born into a broken family. This is like going on to Ancestry.com and saying, yeah, I'm related to George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, but I've also got Benedict Arnold and I've got uh, Kanye West and Pamela Anderson mixed into that too. <laughs> this is not a nice, neat family tree that Jesus is a part of. Jesus was born into a broken family. Do you ever feel like your family's a little broken? Do you ever feel like your relationships with your family are somewhat tense, somewhat embarrassing? somewhat difficult. Do you ever feel that around this time of the year? If that's true, then you and Jesus have something in common. Jesus was born into a broken family. One more observation here for us as we're winding down. Jesus was born into a broken life, and this is kind of a catch-all category, but we see right away that Jesus was born, into a he was born into a manger. He was born in a very difficult situation. By the age of two, he and his parents had to flee to Egypt as political refugees because there's this evil king named Herod that's trying to, do, to great, go to great lengths to see that Jesus does not live. He returns and he kind of lives this life of obscurity as the carpenter's son in his hometown. Then he enters into his public ministry and people start to take notice of him. Not in a good way though. His hometown, if you read Mark chapter six, they, his, family, his own family thinks that Jesus is crazy. Luke chapter four tells us that his hometown tried to kill him by throwing him off a cliff and that's not enough. We need to throw him off a cliff and then stone him. That's what they wanted to do in Luke chapter four. And by the way, this wasn't a hometown like Littleton, tens of thousands of people. This is like his cul-de-sac. It was a very small community. His cul-de-sac wanted to kill him. He lived a broken life. He traveled around, he taught, he healed. He was constantly rejected, constantly harassed and harried, moving all over. At the end of uh, his life, he was uh, falsely accused crimes he didn't commit. In his greatest hour of need, he was betrayed by those closest to him. His best friend denied him three times. Another one of his closest friends actually sold him out, literally sold him out 
for 30 pieces of silver to the authorities. He was crucified and he died, falsely accused of crimes he did not commit. Do you feel encouraged yet? Happy Christmas. (laughs) This is going somewhere, though. The real Christmas story is messy, is broken. And this is the truth of Scripture, so the God of the Bible takes the broken things and makes them beautiful. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the good news of the incarnate God, the, the God who became flesh today. That's the day that we celebrate. The God who became flesh Christmas Day. That's the good news. He takes broken situations and he delights in making them beautiful. I don't know every single person here, but I'm going to go on a limb and say that you are probably facing some difficult situations in your life, some messy, maybe even broken situations in your life. Is there a broken world around us? You better believe it. That one's pretty clear to us. Is our family broken? Are there broken family dynamics, things that are difficult for us with our family? Very often, that's true. Do we live broken lives financially, relationally, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually? I do. Every single day, I'm trying to navigate, what do I do with these situations that aren't perfect, no matter how hard I want them to look like this perfect, idyllic thing? They're not. I can't do that on my own. The God of the Bible loves to take things that are broken and make them beautiful. We read about this in Hebrews 4, and we're going to kind of close with this idea. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. We have a God who relates to us. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The message version of this Bible, it's just more of a, more of a casual, colloquial version of, of the Bible, where it's the same passage, I think, in a really compelling way. Now that we know what we have, we have this Jesus. Isn't that what Christmas is about? Now that we know what we have, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. There's not a religion on the face of the planet that does not think, uh, does not, that, that does not believe that we live in a broken world, right? Islam, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, atheism, Jediism, that's a thing, apparently. <laughs> Everyone believes that there is something broken and wrong with the world. Only Christianity has the God of the universe step boldly into that brokenness. Whereas every other religion calls us to prove ourselves, to earn it, to deserve it, the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, steps into the brokenness and makes it beautiful. You know how we see that? We see it on the cross. We see this in the cross. We see an instrument of pain and sadness and death turned into one of hope and life and restoration. Right? Have you ever thought about this before? If Jesus was born during the French Revolution, we would not be giving little silver crosses to friends. We'd be giving little guillotines that were hanging on necklaces. We'd be putting guillotines out in our front yards and wrapping lights around. Like, that's what the cross was. That's what it was. It was, an, it was an instrument of execution. And it has been made something beautiful. A symbol of life and a symbol of hope. Because the God of the Bible loves to take things that are broken and to make them beautiful. That's the God we worship. That's my hope, my prayer for you, 
this Christmas. I hope you walk out of here encouraged, number one, to feel free that you don't have to be perfect this Christmas. God did not come to enter into your perfect lives that you've put together because those don't exist. It doesn't exist for me and my family. God came to enter into the brokenness. That's why we celebrate the Christmas season. So leave here feeling free to recognize there are broken places in your life and leave here in the hope that the God of redemption is at work. That's what Christmas is about. That's what the cross is about. That is the good news of the gospel is that we worship a God who invites us to participate in redemption. So happy Christmas. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna invite the worship team to come back up to it and uh, lead us in one more song. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are the God of redemption. Thank you, God, that you delight in taking taking broken things and making them beautiful. Lord, thank you that we see that from the manger to the cross and beyond. Lord, thank you for every single person that is here today. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be at work in our lives. Lord, where there are places of doubt and fear, I pray that you would draw near to us in that. Lord, places where there is relational hardship, and confusion, I pray that you would draw near to us and that give us direction. I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here uh, authentically encouraged, knowing who we are and encouraged by the fact of who you are, our God of redemption this Christmas morning. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our King. Amen.